Well, hey everybody, Pastor David Holt here. Good morning. Well, as you can tell, I'm not with you in person, and that's because my wife and I have both tested positive for COVID. But hey, we're fine and just doing the quarantine thing, so I'm going to give you the message right here from my home. You know, last week I mentioned uh, this illustration that I think really resonated with a lot of people because I got some reaction, and that is that the floodwaters are rising in our nation Many people feeling under incredible press or pressure and stress. And I, I gave this example of, of the, the floodwaters rising and how it will drown you if you're not right with God. But if you are right with God and you're filled with the Spirit and you apply the message I preach today, it's like being in a kayak. And that kayak can rise above the floodwaters. And it will be dangerous at times. You'll have rapids that are uh, scary. But as you ride in the kayak of God, you can survive and thrive during these crazy times we're living in. Because I'm more and more convinced that as the darkness gets darker, the brighter the light is that shines in. And the more that we feel the pressure around us and all the turmoil in our world, if it pushes us to God, we can experience God and the power of the Spirit as a, in a way we never have before. Now today I'm going to begin a four-week series called The Church on Mission. And it's so timely because last week we looked at what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what birthed the church in the book of Acts. And so now we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And over the next two weeks, we're going to learn 12 things that ought to be true of the church on mission. These apply to us here at Living Hope. These apply to any believer. These apply to anybody, no matter what local church they're plugged into. So take out your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. By the way, there's notes on the back of your little flyer today that you can follow along. Also, if you're watching online, you can go to our app, and under the sermon, there's the notes right there for you to use. Acts chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages in all of God's Word, for it describes the early church, and it describes those principles that we can apply to our lives today, and it really gives the ingredients for a healthy, dynamic, spirit-filled, Christ-honoring church. And here we go, Acts 2, beginning at verse 41. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank and praise you for your word today. Thank you for technology that I can communicate this message even through this avenue. And God, I pray now that every heart listening uh, would be touched by your spirit, that you'd speak through me, that I would only speak that which is of you for the building up of your church, for the saving of the lost, for the deliverance of the demonized, for the strengthening of all people, for your glory, that your bride, the church, would be all that you want her to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Any groom who loves his wife will be upset if anyone speaks against her. 
even if someone says something about his wife that is partially true in terms of some of her faults. He will be mad and maybe even angry, disappointed, sad that someone spoke against his bride. I believe in a similar way that Jesus as the groom so loves the bride, the church, that if someone is critical of her or chooses to disassociate from her or thinks that she is not important, despite her many imperfections, it grieves him. For after all, Jesus said that he bought the church with his blood. Acts 20, 28 says that. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. And in the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a bride. And that bride is composed of people of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. And he loves his church. He loves his bride so much that he wants to spend all of eternity with her, and he will. You see, God has always been about community. In the very nature of the Trinity, three in one, there is community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is so about community that even right after he created Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. He created Eve, and he brought them into the family, a family. Then in Genesis 12, we see that God, through Abraham, uh, birthed a nation, a people, a community of his redeemed ones. We go to the New Testament. Jesus was all about community because he chose 12 disciples to be with him in community. And then here in the book of Acts, we see the early church birthed. And so we see that, that God values community. When God calls you and me to himself, he doesn't call, call us just to an individual personal relationship. He does that. But he calls us into the body of Christ, the church. I've been blessed to be raised in a church-going family. And as a young boy, I didn't always want to go. But I did, and once I got saved, then I really saw the value of the church, and then I did want to go because I hungered for the Word and I hungered for fellowship with others. I wanted to grow. I wanted to be all that God wanted me to be. Now, have all my experiences in the church been positive? No, <laughs> not even as a pastor. I see her many flaws and failures and shortcomings and people being hurt because the church just does stupid things. <laughs> but, but you know what? As a, as a follower of Jesus, I want to love the things God loves and I want to hate the things God hates. And one of the things I know that he loves is his bride, the church. Again, despite her many faults, God loves the church. And God hates division. And God hates things that come and, and seek to divide and, and make the church what she shouldn't be. And so I pray that we here at Living Hope, and I want you guys to know, I, I, I'm so thankful for you as a church family. I count it a great privilege uh, to be one of your pastors. And I love the church, and I love this church, and I love you. And the reason I do what I do is because I want to see God's church become all that he created her to be for his glory. You know, the, the church being so valuable is why uh, many famous Christians over the years have said things like St. Augustine. He cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. Watchman Nee said, the purpose of God is to establish Christ, not just the personal Christ, but also the corporate Christ, which is the church. And Chuck Colson says in his book, The Body, there is no such thing as Christianity apart from the church. 
And yet today, it's sad that many people treat the church as optional, or they think hearing a sermon online from time to time is sufficient for their church connection, or they quickly leave a church if they disagree with somebody or, or, or some petty difference, or if the pastor doesn't handle COVID perfectly, who does? Or if the, the pastor doesn't take a, a certain stand on a social or political issue like they think he should, and they leave the church over that. And I'm so thankful that we don't have those kind of issues here at Living Hope. We really don't. And it's because I believe you guys love Jesus, and we are so devoted to unity in the essentials, allowing diversity in the non-essentials, and exhibiting love in all things. So today, I'm going to pull six things from this passage, and we'll do the other six next week. Acts chapter 2, what, what should the church uh, be characterized by if it's fulfilling its New Testament calling and if it's truly the church on mission. So here we go. Point number one, the church on mission is gospel-centered. It's gospel-centered. Notice it says in this passage, those who received his message or his word. Well, what was that word? Well, it was the gospel. Peter's preaching the gospel here in Acts 2. Day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit falls, and then he preaches to people the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that God loved the world. God sent his son Jesus. We are separated from him because of our sin, but God loves us so much. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He absorbed the wrath of God for sin. He shed his blood, and if we receive that gift, repent of our sins, put our trust in Christ alone, we can be forgiven, reconciled, redeemed, born again, saved, brought into relationship with God. That's the gospel, my friends. That's the center of Christianity. This is what unites us. A political party doesn't unite us. Who serves in the White House doesn't unite us. Or the Supreme Court um, nominee, no. It's who sits in the God House, who, who's ultimately in the ultimate Supreme Court. We're not united whether we bow a knee to some political cause. We, we, we are united because we bend the knee to Jesus Christ. We're not united but based on our view of mask. We're united because we're redeemed and cleansed and made righteous by the blood of Jesus. This is so important. When we say unity in the essentials, well, this is it. It's the gospel. It's anything related to the gospel. And we see that that's the first thing that it says about the early church here is they accepted his message. So a church on mission is gospel-centered. And we believe this is the message that is the answer to all of the problems in the world today. This is the answer to the problem of sin. This is the answer to the problem of division. This is the answer to the problem of addictions and relational struggle and financial turmoil and anxiety and depression and racism and all the problems that are going on in our world today. This is the answer. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when he comes and saves us, he comes in our life and he transforms us from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the world so desperately needs. Now, the second characteristic of the church on mission is that it is sacramental. Now, I know that's kind of a religious term, but let me explain what it means. Basically, in this passage, it talks about two sacraments that have been true of the church for 2,000 years, and that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. It says those who received his message were baptized. And then it talks about the breaking of bread. That's 
very likely a reference to their partaking of the Lord's Supper, communion. And, and these are the two sacraments of the church. This is why um, Martin Luther and John Calvin both said that where the gospel is preached and the sacraments are administered, you have a church. <laughs> and and th this is something that should be very central to the church. We're, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper after this message today. Next Sunday, we'll have some baptisms. And, and see, baptism is that beautiful picture of salvation that when a person gets saved, they go under the water and they come out of that water. And it's a beautiful uh, declaration of, of their salvation. And then communion, same thing. Both point to the gospel. Communion is when we take the bread and the juice, and it says in 1 Corinthians 11 that every time you do that, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. It's a powerful act of worship and, and reflection, and it's a time to freshly surrender your life and make sure that you're walking close with the Lord. Now, there's many different views of baptism in the Lord's Supper, and we won't get into all that today. But suffice it to say, these are the two sacraments that the church should be practicing on a regular basis. Number three, the church on mission is deeply committed. There's a deep commitment. And we see that in this passage when it says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to some things that we're looking at. It talks about day by day attending the temple together in, and meeting in homes. So what we see here is that there was no casual connection to Jesus and the church. There was a deep commitment, a deep commitment not only to Jesus, but to the local church. You see, you have both in Christianity. You have the vertical, deep commitment to Jesus, surrender to Jesus. He gave his all for us. We should give our all to him. It's the lordship of Christ. Jesus said, if any man wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily, daily, not just when it's convenient, not just when it's easy, but daily surrender to Jesus. And then day by day, a commitment and a connection with other believers. So you, you can't divorce the church from your relationship with Jesus. There's to be a, a deep commitment to both. You know, what's sad today, I use this illustration a lot when I preach overseas, but what's sad today is many people treat their relationship with God like this, like, like it's one of the spokes of the wheel. You know, like here's my hobbies, here's my job, here's my finances, here's my marriage, here's my family, here's my uh, sports uh, loyalties, and, but really they're the center. Self is the center, and, and then there's Jesus, and then there's the church. It's one of many spokes. No, the Bible says that Jesus should be the center of our lives, that, that we should be so committed to Jesus and to the body of Christ, the church, that, that that's what everything else centers around, that Jesus and, and the church is the hub, and the, the spokes are all the other things in our lives that, that should be yielded to Christ. Now listen closely. This is important. When you get saved, 1 Corinthians 12 says you don't just come into a personal relationship with Jesus, but you also become a part of the body of Christ. And so you, you can't divorce a part of the body from the body or else that part will suffer and so will the body. In other words, you get saved, you become a hand or an ear or, an, or a leg or, a, or an eye, but, but, but with that part of the body that you are, 
you're, you're also a part of the rest of the body, the church, the Bible says. And so being deeply committed means that you understand that your relationship with Jesus and your connection to the body are inseparable. This is hugely important. You don't just, you don't take this hand and separate it from the body. No, the hand is meant to be a part of the body. In the same way that when we get saved, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 says, you're immediately placed into the body of Christ. And so see, it's really only, it's, it's, it's only been in America for the most part that we tend to separate our relationship with God from the church. You see, it, it, it'd be like that, that person in the book of Acts, can you imagine them saying, well, I'll be a part of that church in Jerusalem when it's convenient, <laughs> when I don't want to go hunting, when my kids don't have a sports event that interferes, uh, when I can get home in time to watch that football game, or when I wake up and I'm, I'm in the mood, uh, when it doesn't get in the way of what I want to do, that attitude would have been unheard of in the book of Acts. Uh, because what we see here in verse 46, day by day, day by day, they were committed to Jesus. And, and day by day, they met together and experienced community. And so there was a deep commitment in the church on mission. If we're going to be the people God wants us to be, and if we're going to be the church God wants us to be, right here at Living Hope or wherever you're plugged in, it, it, it involves a deep commitment. It involves uh, not just doing it when it's convenient or easy or, or, or meets my personal um, schedule that I've set up to do what I want to do. The church on mission is deeply committed. Number four, and this one's huge, and it, and it, and it really will determine whether or not our kayak stays above the water or, or we get drowned. Listen closely. The church on mission is word-rooted. I love this one. It's word-rooted. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what was the apostles' teaching? Well, the apostles' teaching, first of all, involved their preaching and teaching the Old Testament. And you go through the book of Acts, and you see that, man, whenever they were preaching the gospel, they kept repeatedly saying, this is to fulfill what was written. And they quote the Old Testament. And then, and then these apostles are the ones who are writing the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and, and the, the books of the New Testament. So the apostles' teaching today is basically the Word, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're so blessed to have God's written Word. And this is why Jesus' ministry was characterized, it says, by Him preaching and, and teaching. It was a big part of His ministry. Peter and Paul in the book of Acts preach the word. 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Do your best to present yourselves approved unto God, a workman who needeth not be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, correction, training, and righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Paul told Timothy, Preach the word in season and out. 2 Timothy 4.3, it says that in the latter days, and boy, are we seeing this. Listen closely. In the last days, people will accumulate for themselves 
teachers in accordance with their own desires to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Beloved, make sure that you are in the Word every day. Make sure that you are in a church that preaches the Word because the church on mission has to be Word-rooted. And it's the Word that sets the captives free. It's the Word that teaches us accurately about who God is. It's the Word that teaches us accurately about sin and things that displease God. It's the Word that teaches us about marriage, sexuality, money, uh, how to overcome difficulties. It's the Word that instructs us about our identity and about the future and about what's eternal. Beloved, everything we need for life and godliness is right here in the Word of God. What a privilege. I, I pray that you value the Word and that you spend time in the Word meditating day and night. For Psalms 1 says, if you meditate on the Word day and night, you'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and in whatever he does, he prospers. So the church on mission is Word-rooted. It was interesting yesterday, um, I was out shooting my bow. I enjoy bow hunting and I was target practicing. And, and when I went in my house to get my bow, which was in a case, I lifted the case and there was a snake underneath it in our house. How it got in, I have no idea. But uh, anyway, it was just a, I think it was a rat snake. So we grabbed it and put it back in the woods, didn't harm it a bit. But it just reminded me again how easily things can get into our lives or into our homes if we are not uh, on guard if we're not in the Word, if we're not filled with the Spirit, if we're not taking every thought captive, how easy, especially in the day we live with the floodwaters rising, how easy it is for us to slip into lukewarmness, begin to drift a little. I've been studying in the book of Hebrews that phrase, lest you drift. And the warnings in the book of Hebrews encourage you to do the same study many warnings in the book of Hebrews to not drift, to not fall away, to not become lazy. It's so easy, is it not, to become spiritually lazy and snakes coming in our house and lives. We've got to be diligent. And the Word is such an important part of being diligent. Number five, the church on mission is relational. Now, I want you to listen closely because this one, I'm going to read from my notes a lot because um, I want to make sure that I communicate clearly this aspect because this is a huge part of the church. The church is about relationships. It says here they devoted themselves to fellowship. That's the Greek word koinonia, means to share together, breaking bread in their homes. Wow, that's, that's really connecting relationally. So as we come to this part of church life, this is that wonderfully joyful and wonderfully messy <laughs> and even painful aspects of church life. I'm talking about the people part, the relational part, the human interaction part. I mean, if Christianity were just me and Jesus, you and Jesus, that'd be pretty easy, wouldn't it? Because he's perfect. But there's also the horizontal aspect. It's not just the vertical. It's the horizontal also. And, and this is where it gets messy and painful because what do you have on the horizontal? You have 
imperfect people. You've got an imperfect pastor that you've got to put up with. And, and he's not going to do everything like you wish he did. And he's going to maybe disappoint you. And, and I don't want to. I'm sorry if I do. But this is that, that, that relational part of Christianity that gets messy and painful because it's like the person once said, if you think you find the perfect church, don't join because then it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> We're all imperfect. And with those imperfections comes conflict, misunderstanding, hurt. And, and, and you, you guys have heard me say this, and I'll say it again. If, if you cut and run from a church because of relational conflict, you're very likely sabotaging part of the sanctification process. Let me repeat that. If, if because you have relational conflict, which you will, that's part of the church. That's part of just human interaction. It's like a marriage. If, if you think that marriage means you never have conflict, well, that's ridiculous. But it's through the conflict that you grow if you're humble, teachable, willing to ask forgiveness, and hang in there and, and don't cut and run. And so when, when people leave a church because they have relational conflict, Often they are sabotaging the very thing that God's designed to help them grow and mature and become more like Jesus. It's in those human interactions, which can be incredibly joyful. I pray that your interactions with people at Living Hope are joyful or fun, full of laughter, full of growth and enjoyment. At the same time, it's going to also be that the more you interact with people, the greater the potential conflict. And, but yet, that's what being a Christian's all about. Working out those differences, humbling ourselves, making sure we communicate with each other to, to understand and, and to grow together. And this is why you have 52 one another's in the New Testament. Pray for one another, encourage one another. Spur one another to loving good deeds. Bear one another's burdens. All these one another's forgive one another. Bear with one another. Because God designed us to not only be in relationship with him, but to be in relationship with one another. And the hand and the eye and the ear and the leg need to all stay together and work together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. And that word spur <laughs> is like the spurring of a horse, the, the cowboy that has spurs on his boots that he, you know, jabs into the horse to get it to go where it needs to go. And sometimes our interactions are a little bit like that spurring. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Boy, that's true today. Some people viewing their, their uh, relationship to the church as optional. Some only doing it when it's convenient. Some already disassociating due to COVID. They, they've, they, they're saying now that possibly a third of, of professing Christians in America have so disengaged from their local church due to COVID, they have no plans to return. Now, I know that's not true here at Living Hope, and I know that's not true for you, those of you that haven't come back yet because you've told me you can't wait to get back. You can't wait for it to be safe enough for you to feel like you can come back. 
um, and you're still engaged online and you're still engaged in giving and you're still engaged in, in, in Zoom groups and other means of connection. And that's so good and I applaud you. And if you're not, then I challenge you to do, to do that. But he says, don't give up meeting together. You see this calling? They had this same struggle back then as we do today. People that tend toward selfish isolationism. People who tend toward uh, disengagement from the body of Christ. That's not biblical. That's not New Testament church. So he says, don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. We need encouragement. You need encouragement. I need encouragement. We all need encouragement. We need to be connected with others in such a way that we encourage one another. I encourage every one of you every day to just ask God to put a couple people on your heart in our church or, or that you know that you could reach out in a text or a call or an email to just say thinking about you, praying for you, how you doing, anything I can do for you. And then it says, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. And that day is the second coming of Jesus. He's coming back, beloved. Jesus is coming back to establish his millennial reign, to call people to himself, to separate the sheep from the goats, to ultimately bring about complete justice, to create a new heaven and a new earth, throw Satan and all the demons into the lake of fire forever, and to bring us to a place where there's no crying, mourning, pain, or sorrow, where only righteousness, peace, and joy uh, abounds forever and ever and ever. Well, until that day comes, we need to be closely connected closely relational, committed to one another and to Jesus so that we are the bride that he longs to come back for, that we're a pure and holy and obedient and faithful and worshipful bride. That's what he wants for us. So our final point today is that the church on mission is prayerful. Look carefully at what it says here. They devoted themselves to the prayers. The ESV actually gets this right in rendering it exactly the way it is in the Greek, plural, the prayers. Why would it be a plural here? Well, probably in reference to the fact that the church did prayer in many different ways. There was individual prayer. There was small group prayer. There was prayer when they all came together. There was obviously a set prayer time that they had and observed because in Acts 3 verse 2, it says Peter and John during the hour of prayer, going to the hour of prayer. And that's when they met the crippled man and saw that healing. So the early church was deeply committed to praying. They had a vibrant prayer life individually. They had a corporate prayer life. This is why at Living Hope, we, we have a prayer time on Tuesdays at noon in the house of prayer. There's a Tuesday night Zoom prayer time. We encourage our small groups to pray together. Uh, and so prayer is so central to the Christian life, and it's so central to our connection as a body. Jesus said to come boldly to the throne of grace. Jesus often slipped away to the wilderness to pray. The early church prayed together. The Bible says pray without ceasing. The Bible says that prayer is one way that we bind the evil one, release the power of God, rend the heavens and come down. Prayer is desperately needed right now in our country. When we look at 2 Chronicles 7:14, if my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, confess their sins, seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. This is what we need in America right now. And, and you know, I realize that many times prayer is a struggle. Many times you're praying, you don't see God, you know, physically, and you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. But it should not cause us to forget the incredible privilege we have to talk to God, to listen to God, to share our burdens to God, to intercede on behalf of others, to pull down demonic strongholds. And so in God's economy of operating, it's still ultimately a mystery, but God has designed this thing called prayer where we talk to God, listen to God, and pour out our heart to God, claim his promises, stand on his word. God has, has set in operation in his economy of working in his kingdom that prayer is the means by which we stay in close connection with God and see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So, beloved, the church on mission is a church of prayer. Individually, we seek God. Corporately, we seek God. So important that we be a praying church, that we be a church that prays together and cries out to God for miracles. And when we do, it unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit on earth. What a privilege we have to pray. So let me review what we've learned today, and we're going to pick up next week with six more. But today, the church on mission is gospel-centered, it's sacramental, baptism, Lord's Supper. It's deeply committed, deeply committed to God and to one another. This commitment to the church was not when it was just convenient or met their schedule. No, they were deeply committed to Jesus and to one another. They were word-rooted. We need to be word-rooted. They were extremely relational. They were deeply committed to those beautiful human relations that we have as the body of Christ, and they were prayerful. Now, before the worship team comes, and Jonathan leads us in a time of communion, so worship team, if you want to go ahead and come up, you're welcome to. Let me just conclude with some penetrating questions, and I really encourage you, take these questions serious. I'm not meant to be um, shaming or coming down on you or trying to um, manipulate you into some legalistic commitment, but, but I do want to ask you some questions that I think are right in line with Scripture in the heart of God. And the first is this, do you value the local church as God does? Do you, do you love the church like God does? And if you recognize that you don't or that you've had a tendency to not regard the church as important, then today ask God to change your heart. Ask him to make your heart more aligned with his heart. Because isn't that what it means to become more mature and be sanctified and, be, and grow is to, to become more like Jesus? So if Jesus obviously loves the church, died for the church, and values his bride, then should not we in the same way? So I encourage you, first of all, ask yourself, do I value the church the way God does? Number two, are you committed to a local church? Now, this isn't just about living hope because we have people listening today from other states, other countries. So wherever you live, are you committed to a local church, to a local body of believers? Or have you allowed COVID 
and, and all that's come with COVID to maybe cause you to become disengaged. They're saying today that upwards of 30% of believers have disengaged from the church and have no plans to return. That is tragic. That is not the will of God. And so it's important that we be committed to a local church. And the final question today is, are you contributing or just observing? Are you like those fans in the stands at the Georgia game last night that just observe and criticize and, you know, I could have done it better and if I'd have been quarterback, I'd have thrown this pass or why did we run that defensive alignment? You know, when you're in the stands just observing, you tend to be critical. But when you're on the field and you're sweating and you're giving it your all and you're, you're one of those 11 players playing, it's a whole different perspective. And God wants us on the field. God wants us striving together, working together, using our gifts, contributing with our time, talents, and treasures, and, and really helping shape and mold the local church to be all that God would have it be. When, when you're on the field, it's a whole different perspective. Let's be on the field together, Living Hope. Let's be contributing, using our gifts helping to relieve those who are tired and weary and, and everybody doing its part. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. The hand, the ear, the nose, the eye, the leg, each part contributing, doing its share for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because you see, if you separate a part of the body, what happens to that hand if I separate it? It'll die and the body suffers. So in the same way, if you're not being the vibrant part of the body God's called you to be, you're suffering, and so is the body of Christ. You know, I pray and hope that this series that we're doing right now will encourage you, will strengthen you, will challenge you, and also my prayer is that God would use these four weeks when we put the church under the microscope and, and really look at it from the Word of God that God will shape and mold Living Hope Church and whatever ch local church you're a part of to be a more pure bride, a more healthy bride, a more functioning bride so that the head of the church, Jesus Christ, who shed His blood to purchase this beautiful thing called the church, the bride, that, that that head would be glorified and magnified and that more people would be brought into the church and that this church would grow. Because remember Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. So that's my heart and that's my prayer. Guys, I love you. I miss you. I'll be back with you next week. Now, I had planned that we would have some Q&A today, but obviously we can't do that because I'm not there. But I do want you to email me, davidholt08 at gmail.com. If you have a question, and we'll try to address that in the message next week, and we'll make sure we have some Q&A next week when I'm back with you in person. So uh, worship team's coming, and uh, you guys are about to enter into a beautiful time around uh, the Lord's Supper, one of those two sacraments. But let me pray for us first. God, we uh, just thank and praise you, Jesus, that you love the church so much that you purchased her with your blood. I pray today, God, that if there's anybody listening who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that right now they'll open their heart. They'll repent of their sins. They'll trust you and invite you into their life and see their life change from the inside out. Father, I pray for uh, every person listening that you will show them what from this message you most have for them. 
I ask that you speak to them regarding maybe where their commitment or involvement in the local church needs to be adjusted. And God, I specifically pray now for Living Hope Church that you would um, be the the Lord of, of our church, that we would be in line with you, that we'd be, be obedient to you, that if there's anything that we are doing, emphasizing, um, teaching that is not of you, that you just bring correction. God, we want to be all that you would have us to be. We want to be salt and light in, in Athens and in Georgia and in the United States and even to the world for your glory. God, thank you for the privilege to be a part of the church. Thank you for calling us to a personal relationship with you, but also thank you for placing us into the body for support and encouragement and even rebuke when we need it. We love you. We praise you. And now, God, I pray that there would just be a spirit of holiness and worship as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in Jesus' name. Amen.